reading comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly be united with him in resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, good morning, folks. Um, I am pumped about this morning's reading. So if you need a Bible, uh, do grab one from the back shelf at the back. Uh, we'll work through the verses on the screen. Um, but I don't want you to miss what God uh, might say to you uh, this morning. And um, we'll get ourselves ready uh, as we do that. A couple of visual aids this morning. Ooh. Thank you. Great. So just as we get ourselves together, um, it's a really quick thing. I'd love you to be praying and responding to God about Southdown's awakening. But a really quick, fun thing. Uh, so the Bishop of the Arctic is going to be here next summer for the Lambeth Conference and was going to pop in here just before. And we've been asked by the Lambeth Conference to host him. Um, and he was going to go to New Wine Island to have a bit of refreshing and a bit of teaching, a bit of ministry. Anyway, he saw the vision for Southdown's Awakening. He and his wife have changed their plans. They're going to be here for the whole walk along the Downs uh, and join us at the top. So that's really fun, isn't it? I love that. Father Christmas is going to be here. It's going to be so fun. Right, grab somebody near you. Uh, make a new friend if you need to. Father, thank you for today, a day you've made and one we rejoice and are glad in it. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts, that you would liberate us, that you would set us free to love you with all our hearts and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, I want to talk to you this morning um, about uh, 
both this Sunday and next Sunday about the liberating power of Jesus. The liberating power of Jesus. And I often think to myself, what would it be like if Jesus walked into our church? Be incredible. What would he do? We know what he'd do, don't we? Don't we? Because we've read about him walking around for three and a half years. And everywhere he went, life in all its fullness erupted. Those who were tormented in mind were freed. Those who were diseased in body were healed. Those who had no purpose were found. Those who were cast away from the community were included. We had it in our collect, um, didn't we? That he preached good news. That those who were captives were bound. And the only people who found it difficult were the religious people. So it's a good challenge for all of us, isn't it? Who some might say are religious people. Uh, to think, what if Jesus walked in here? And uh, I want to talk this morning about how he liberates us. And we've heard this morning about him liberating people from the, the power of sickness and disease. And if any of us are here battling with that, then let's just receive the fact that God doesn't love the people who have received healing more than us, but he's just working in a particular way and open our hearts afresh to him working in our lives. But I want to talk to you about how Jesus liberates us from the power of sin. Now, who here believes Jesus forgives us of our sins? Fantastic. Who here believes that they've been called to live like Jesus? Okay. What is the big difference between us and Jesus? He was without Okay. So, it seems to me that the thing holding us back, or maybe not the thing, but a core thing holding us back is the power of sin in our lives. Now, how do we know what sin looks and feels like? If there is any deed or action in our lives which Jesus would not have done, then I think that is a huge challenge to us to break the power of sin in our lives. Now, I'm looking around at you, and you're such lovely people. You know, and, and you're very, very good people, aren't you? The challenge with Jesus is when he was teaching up on the hillside in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, essentially, it's not just what you do, but it's how you think from the heart. So you might not just be getting into bed with somebody, but if you look at a woman in this way, you are committing adultery in your heart. So the next question is, how do we know what sin is? Is there any thought in our heads which Jesus would not have had? Because he wants to set us free. Amen. You know, um, I inherited from my gene pool a highly addictive personality. And I've had to crucify that and gain liberation from that in my life. You know, I thought it was normal if you discovered a new sport to just get massively into it and get all the gear and all you think about that and it dominates your thinking. I've had a good opportunity because Ed Crabell, one of our associates, has been teaching me to fish. 
And so it's been a great opportunity to see how free I am, to just enjoy it for what it is, and <laughs> not obsess about it. You know, I remember, like, you know, I used to, when I was younger, this is weird, counting eights the whole time on my fingers. And I would try and get eights to collapse into five fingers. And then it does what... It's just weird, isn't it? All right. So, <laughs> so I'm just saying these things because if there is any area of our lives that is out of control, then Jesus wants to liberate us and set us free. Now, I want to speak to you this morning from the book of Romans. And essentially, Paul, who hasn't visited this group of believers, is contending with two um, worldviews, if you like. He's writing to a bunch of Christians who are living in the epicentre of the most totalitarian and oppressive regime that has probably graced planet Earth. The centre of that is Caesar, who is to be worshipped as God, and his way is to be dominated and rolled out right across his empire. So he's writing to Christians who are living in the heart of that. He's also writing to Christians who are um, developing on or progressing on from their Judaistic heritage. And so uh, this is why Paul begins in Romans 1 with the whole universe because he's writing to a bunch of Christians who live in a place which thinks about the whole universe. Rome is the centre of it, and Rome is to be manifest throughout the universe. But then he goes on and he develops, uh, from Romans chapter 1, he develops and goes back about how Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of the promises given to Abraham through the law, and how Jesus Christ has set us free from the law simply by putting faith in him. And when we put our faith in him, we are justified, our status changes, and we are liberated. Then you can imagine someone in the church in Rome thinking, okay, I've been liberated, praise God, simply by faith. I've entered the kingdom of God and yet I'm living in the kingdom of Caesar. I don't feel very free. And then he turns and he, he, we get to this passage in Romans chapter 6 and he comes to bring liberating truth to the power of sin in our lives. That you can live in the most oppressive regime on planet earth and you could be so free with the life of God. And he tells them how. And there are basically three kind of uh, things that I'm going to bring out for us in this passage. The first is this, that the liberating power of Jesus can set us free from the power of sin before we die. I'm just going to show you what's said in that area, because we're all looking forward to being liberated one day, aren't we? Are we looking forward to dying? Okay, you haven't come in some weird cult in the outback of America. But actually, you know, like Paul says, to, to die is Christ. But we get to live and it's gain for us, isn't it? So um, he says we can be free from the power of sin before we die. That doesn't mean that we will never sin. And I'll finish this up at the end necessarily. But we can be free from the possibility of the grip of sin on our lives. How? 
through the events that happened to Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, through his death on the cross and his rising from the grave in the empty tomb that we celebrate three days later. And that becomes real to us in our hearts through the way that we believe and exercise our faith. Now, with that introduction, let's jump into Romans chapter 6. Paul's picking up from a context where um, he's been teaching that where the law came in, sin increased. What he's saying is that it isn't that that sin arrived with the law, but what he's basically saying is now we've got something that gives sin an account. It was always there before, but now when the Judaistic law came in, now sin has something to account for it, and so it increased. And then he says at the end of chapter 5, in God's kindness, grace abounded all the more. And then he answers the question that arises, what then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Let's sin more so that God's grace can abound. And he says, by no means, you punks. He says, how can we who died to sin go on living in it? How can we who died to sin go on living in it? He's questioning that he's basically saying, you know, it's not possible to go on living in sin in the grace of God. And we'll come back to this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, what's he saying? If you're a Christian here, you should have been baptised. Your baptism will not have made you a Christian, but it's an outward sign of the inward giving of our hearts to Jesus. Okay? All right? And if you haven't been baptized, crack on and let us know. And we're definitely baptizing on Easter Day. So just to give you a heads up. But what he's saying is, by way of analogy, he's basically saying, do you not know that all of us, when we were baptized, we gave our lives away? When you gave your life to Jesus, you became not uh, Ruth Milne, you know, not Tim Dodd. You became somebody else. You gave your life away. You were buried with him by baptism. So when you committed your life to Jesus, you were saying, I am dying to myself. And as I die, I'm being buried in this tomb. And if there's any possibility of being raised again, I'm not going to be raised as James. I'm not going to be raised, you know, as Nick. I am coming out a different person. Okay? We've been buried with him by baptism into death. Why is this? Why have we given up our lives and followed after our master in his pattern so that he was raised from the dead On the third day, he rose from the grave so that you and I might walk in newness of life. He doesn't say so that when we die, we will find eternity forevermore. He says that he died and was raised again so that you and I might walk in newness of life or eternal life. Life that has no beginning and has no end, that now we are receiving because we've been brought into this and incorporated into this. Okay? So my first um, 
My first uh, declaration, if you like, is that it is possible, according to this, to walk in newness of life, to be free from the power of sin. Does everybody get that? Is everyone okay? I told you I was pumped this morning. Okay, so just bear with me, okay? Um, Right. I hear your question in your hearts. How does that happen? Okay, let's look on to verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The events that happened to Jesus Christ were not only effective to validate him as the Son of God, but they're effective in releasing a new family of sons and daughters of God who are brought into what he won for us and that we can now enjoy in this life and forever and ever and ever. This is why Paul talks about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1 as the firstborn of all creation. It doesn't mean that Jesus was born before Adam because he was born in Nazareth a long time after Adam. So he can't be the firstborn physically, but he's the firstborn of the redeemed new family that's been bought and purchased by his blood and has been released through his resurrection. And we, if we are trusting God that we are receiving forgiveness of sins, we are united with him in a death like his, then if we actually believe that he forgives our sins, we will surely believe, Paul says, that we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. So these linen cloths that no longer hold a body are the, the kind of testimony to us that new life can be released in our hearts and lives. Is everyone okay? So breathe. Verse 6. How is this enacted? We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Okay? So who here loves Jesus? Have you given him your whole hearts? Okay. You were crucified with him so that the old Jimmy or the old Janice, could be killed off. Now, as somebody who takes funerals, from time to time I'm near a dead body. I'll tell you what, there is no temptations for someone who is dead. There's no anger issues for someone who is dead. There's no pride. There's no fear. There's no sense of inadequacy. There's no addiction. There's nothing out of control for someone who has died. Okay? So what he's saying is, the body of sin is killed off so that the chains binding our lives might be snipped away and we might no longer be controlled by our old self. Okay? He says this point for us, verse 7. For whoever has died is freed from sin. Okay? Verse 8. But if we have died with Christ, which you've just told me that you have, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9. So what he's basically tying together is the resurrection and the cross. 
So if we believe in the cross, we have to believe in the resurrection. Okay? Verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So the most powerful force in our lives, which is the consequences of sin, is death that comes to all of us on our lives. Jesus Christ, that blanket rested on him, and three days later, he tore it out, he rose from the grave, and so the most powerful force in this life is now defeated and under his feet, and the risen physical body of Jesus Christ is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father, praying for you and I, and what he's won is being released towards us in our lives. Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer holds the puppet strings over his life. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. So when he gave up his last breath on the cross, he was dying to sin. One payment for somebody who was without sin for all, for all of time, for everybody. The death he died is wonderful, isn't it? Praise the Lord. You know, I had a dream about three days ago about Southdown's awakening, and I won't really go into this for another time, but it was like there was a crucifixion happening on top of the downs, and the person being crucified was me. And I tell you what, I'm talking about it because I'm excited, but when we engage with what our Lord did, there was a terror, a physical terror, that I was seeing and experiencing that he, our Lord and Master, did for us. When his arms were outstretched and his bolts were driven into his arms, his hands and his feet, you and I were being released from that. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So, so he took death, the controlling forces, the oppressive things in our lives, the stuff where we fail, where we're inadequate, whatever. He died that the power of that could be destroyed as his body went into the grave. When we give our hearts, we are entering into that. We're going into the grave. We no longer have rights over our lives. We no longer get to make choices in our lives. Now, I know that you're making choices about what electricity company you have or you know, what holiday you might enjoy this summer. But a Christian asks Jesus to take us to the Father to reveal his will in our lives. So we no longer make the choices if our lives are submitted to him. Does this make sense to, it, to you? And the life that he lives, he now lives to God, unrestrained, never coming under any controlling forces. Is this good? Yeah. Okay. Back to verse 5. If we've been united with him in a de death like his, surely we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. And I've just told you up above that the thrust of this passage is not glory when we die. This is walking in newness of life. Okay? So what Jesus won for us on the cross, and the power that was released three days later is for you and I, as we are united with him 
by trust and faith in him and him alone. Does this make sense? Okay? Now, how is that made real in our lives? I'm just really telling you what it says today. It's exciting. Verse 11. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is made real for us, and here's my first instalment of the liberating power of Jesus, by faith, by our beliefs, by the way that we think. And that opens the possibility when we consider ourselves in this way for us to be transformed, for us to have an encounter with God that breaks the power of sin in our lives. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know how I broke the power of eights on my fingers? (laughs) This <laughs> is weird, isn't it? I'm just saying, like, I don't know. What's that book that someone wrote about 20 years ago? Everyone's normal until you get to know them. <laughs> I think it was John Ortberg. You don't have to read the book, but you know what he's trying to say, don't you? <laughs> I broke the power of that. And we could, you can apply this in the way that you need to. I broke the power of that by beginning to think of myself as dead to counting obsessively in eights. And now alive and a free person to be at peace in my life. Let me put it like this, okay? You know, I am, I am a Christian, okay, at this moment, but I cannot stop obsessively counting in eights on my fingers. So I need to consider myself as dead to sin. Sin is controlling me in this way. I can't stop it and I'm not peaceful. I drove Louise crazy at the start of our marriage. I'd lie in bed just like, ah. So I think of myself. You can't sin if you're dead. So I think of myself as the old James has been killed off. The old James went into the grave with Jesus 2,000 years ago. So therefore, even though I feel I cannot stop it, I actually am dead to that. So the feelings may be coming at me, but I think of myself now as being someone who thinks, that's completely weird to count in eights obsessively. I am dead to the power of that. Because dead things cannot sin. And I am alive to being a peaceful person, a peace which passes all understanding can now fill my body and my heart and my mind. And that is the first step to then receiving the liberating power of Jesus. And when I changed my beliefs, I found that the power of the eights <laughs> diminished in my life. Now, You know, you can apply this in the way that you want. But think of yourselves as dead to sin, but...
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I don't care what it is. You know, the feelings may be powerful. I may feel that I'm out of control, but it is not true. I am being deceived by my emotions and maybe by the father of lies who's trying to energize them. But the truth is, I have lost my life. It is not possible for this to be powerful and controlling in my life any longer. You know, let's apply this in different ways. I cannot stop losing my temper. Hang on a minute. That is a lie there that I need to repent of and break its power. Because I'm dead to anger. Anger died 2,000 years ago. And that's what I've been united with. Think of yourselves as dead to anger. Dead to fear. Dead to insecurity. Dead to whatever it is. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. I am dead to anger because now what he's done for me 2,000 years ago, by faith I'm receiving... And I am now receiving meekness and gentleness, which is what he has won for me by the power of what he did. Does this make sense? Yes. Yes. I'm telling you, that is how the liberating power of Jesus is released. You apply this in whatever way that you need to as the Holy Spirit leads you. But I'm telling you, think of yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean I go around and I say, I never sin. <laughs> or as the Corinthian church did, I've been resurrected. The resurrecting power of Jesus is flowing in my life, that is true, but my physical resurrection won't happen until I'm a lot older and you're a lot older. But the resurrecting power is within my life, working from the inside out, so that there is no part of my life that is not under the authority of Jesus Christ, which is real and active in my life because he shared it with me because of his kindness and his grace. So if we sin, then we have one who is faithful and true and who is merciful to forgive us. I lose my temper. Okay, oh, how was that powerful in my life? Okay, I need to come back. I need to adjust my thoughts. You know, I was in a situation there where I felt it was unstoppable and I was out of control. Okay, right, I need to go deeper. I need to think of myself as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So thank you, Lord, that you put me in a situation where you're squeezing me to see what comes out of me when I'm under pressure. Thank you, Lord, because you're discipling me. God disciplines the children that he loves, Hebrews chapter 12. You are discipling me. So thank you. Please give me another situation where all my buttons will be pressed and I can really see if I consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Oh, I feel angry. Oh, I feel it rising up within me. Hang on a minute. That's deceiving me. Anger can't come on me unless I need to get the horse whip out and clear out the temple. (laughs) But unrighteous anger, ungodly anger. Hang on a minute. I feel it rising up. Okay, that is 
an area where I need to now consider myself dead to sin and alive to God. I am someone who is born to be gentle, to be kind, to be merciful, to be a person of peace which passes all understanding. All right? Is this good, guys? Helpful? How are we doing? You could find this stuff out for yourselves if you read on. <laughs> Free from coming to church next week. It's good, isn't it? I tell you what, you know, this is how he trans. one of the ways he transforms us from one degree of glory to another. I was a born-again Christian filled with the Spirit, and yet I was obsessively counting in eights. That's been broken in my life. By thinking of myself, hang on a minute. I'm dead to counting in eights. <laughs> that actually died 2,000 years ago, and it's completely weird anyway. <laughs> I'm not out of control. Because I'm under his lordship, and he defeated the most powerful thing in life, death itself, in order to release new life that we might walk in it. So, guys, may God just liberate us all through the power of Jesus for every chain to be broken, every oppression to go, and that we would be the most powerful, courageous, loving, merciful, gentle people of self-control that walk this planet in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I think what we're going to have is a time of ministry now. I'm just going to ask Colin um, and Kate just to worship over us. If you'd like to respond this morning, then I'm going to invite you to the front and I'm going to invite uh, Sally and Ian and some of the host team um, just to move around. If you want to say, I would like to bring to God this area of my life, then you can. If you'd like them just to pray for you as you meet with God, then that's absolutely fine. But if you'd like to respond to the Lord, then we're just going to make space for the next few minutes and uh, just to receive from him and to um, be prayed for this morning.